0: Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on too good to be true. I'm wearing a hat today for the first time I've ever wore a hat. Preaching. Some of you may have turned off the live stream because I'm wearing a hat today. There's a few reasons for that. My hair is so long. I mean, it is so long that if I try to fix my hair, I just, I don't know what to do with my hair at this point. And so that's one reason. But I would have to say probably the greatest reason um, is I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm mad at religion today. And so I just thought I'd take a little stab at it today because it ticked me off. So all of the shenanigans that we do, all of the things that we've made uh, a relationship with Christ about that has robbed people from true relationship with him and has destroyed so many lives, I'm angry with today. And so I wore my hat. So this is the real deal. It doesn't matter if I wear a hat or not. This is the real deal. If you have a problem with it, you are confused. You're confused, all right? And I pray for revelation and freedom to come to your life so that you will know the true and living God. That is not restricted in your life by whether or not you wear a hat or not. You need to know him. I invite you to meet him. And so here we are (laughs) with my hat, with me angry. And today, I just want to talk about stop being ignorant. Stop being ignorant. Um you ever heard the saying too good to be true? If that statement is ever uttered from your mouth about the kingdom or anything in the kingdom, you are indeed ignorant, unlearned, unknowledgeable, you have a limited revelation and grasp on the immense opportunity and the riches of an eternal kingdom. If you ever think it's too good to be true, we love to find our stopping points. We love to argue about our stopping points. We love to trust God for certain things, for certain levels, but we love to divide ourselves as a body over how good he is. We love to find stopping points. We love to find certain things or manifestations or what people are encountering about the presence of God. We seem to find the greatest joy many times as a body in trying to find where the goodness of God stops And that's way too extravagant, and he could never do that. And I would say, my friend, I don't know, I'm not defending any particular thing, but I'm going to say God can do anything he wants to do to lavish goodness and greatness on his people. And because you haven't experienced it, you think you're an authority on whether it can be real or not, that is ignorant. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm not saying that you're diminished mentally, because that would mean you don't have the ability to comprehend or understand. Ignorant just means you're uninformed. Matter of fact, in First Thessalonians, that's an ignorant statement. First Thessalonians 4, The Bible says, if you got offended by me saying ignorant with my hat on, I got a hat on, and the Bible says ignorant. It says that I would that you not be ignorant, brethren. That means there is a potential for brethren. He said that I would that you not be ignorant, brethren. That means they're believers, ignorant believers. So I would say today, we need to quit having ignorant believers. Let's have ignorant people in the world, but let's quit having ignorant believers. Let's have believers that have a revelation, have a hope in an eternal king, but let's not be ignorant. First Thessalonians 4 is talking about the resurrection from the dead. It says, I would that you not be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that are asleep. Know you not if Jesus rose from, was buried dead and buried and rose from the grave Grave that he will take them with him. Don't be ignorant. I want to go to Luke chapter 24 today. Let me tone it down a little bit. Y'all are like, is he going to preach angry? I'm not, I'm not angry. Not angry at any person, anybody. I'm angry at an adversary that would keep us blind. Especially those that know Christ, have a knowledge of Christ, have a relationship with Him, but yet can still be blinded by the adversary. John talked about waking up, O sleeper, come into the light, out of the dark. What a travesty if we are those that are to live in the light, yet we have blinders on. And we only see portions of light because we are convinced by our lack of understanding that that's the only light there is. How sad and how devastating. Luke chapter 24. Last week was Easter. We celebrated Easter. We celebrated Easter on Easter Eve because it was raining on Easter and we wanted to have a drive-in service. But last week was Easter, and Jesus, we celebrated Jesus raising from the dead. What an amazing celebration. What an amazing event. What that means for our life. What that means for who we are and who we can become as we are buried with him in the likeness of his death because he joined us in our death, and he came and got us and raised us with him so that we could be seated with him. For all of eternity, so that he could lavish on us the riches of his kingdom. What an amazing thing and time to celebrate. But I want to move on today past the resurrection. And so, it's one thing that Jesus rose from the dead. And that now we have full potential. All of heaven is available to us, right? He came, joined us in our death. We're now supposed to be seated in a realm that's available to us. And so there's not supposed to be restrictions to that. But many of us are responding to the risen Christ like some of his disciples responded to him. So in Luke chapter 24, let's go back. I'm going to take a drink of water while you type it in your phone. Let's just read the account again, starting in verse one. Very early that Sunday morning, the woman made their the woman made woman made their way to the tomb, carrying the spices they had prepared. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, Jesus' mother. <coughs> Arriving at the tomb. They discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. I love the other um, um, disciples. I don't remember which one it was, if it was Matthew or Mark or John. Their retelling of this story, we talked about it last week. Not only was it rolled away, but the angel was sitting on it. What a powerful picture. But they saw that the stone had been rolled away, verse 3. so they went in to look but the tomb was empty the body of jesus was gone they stood there stunned and perplexed okay stunned and perplexed stunned and perplexed suddenly two men dazzling in dazzling white robes shining like light, lightning appeared above them terrified the woman fell to the ground On their faces. The men in white said to them, not the men in black, the men in white, just a little movie joke. Why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He is not here, for he is risen. Have you forgotten what he said to you while he was in Galilee? So here they are. Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days. He didn't say 429 days, and so somewhere they lost count. He said three. Everybody can count to three, right? You learn how to count to three when you're a little bitty baby, right? You learn Oakland will be able to count to three real soon, Chloe, right? I mean, you learned that. That is basic, okay? He didn't say, I'm going to raise again 729 minus 403 to the x second exponent power, blah, blah, blah. And that's is really complicated. But those of you that are really smart and really sharp will be able to comprehend what I'm going to do. And so when I do it, you'll be like, today's the day. Let's go to the tomb. Let's see if he's up because we're the enlightened ones and we're the smart ones. And so you guys should come with expectation to the tomb. He said, three days, I'm going to raise again. Right? Yet they come to the tomb to anoint his body when he told them, I'm not going to be there that day. You know what I'm saying? Like, you tell somebody. Anybody ever had somebody like that? You tell them stuff like 10 times, and they, when you get down and tell them, they're like, yeah, I got it. And then they just say the opposite of what you just said. You're like, how did this happen? Right? What is going on? And so they come there three days later. They should have been singing on the way. All of the disciples should have been with them. They should have not been able to sleep the night before, with so much excitement that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day. You talk about a due season. Woo, tomorrow. Man, how many sleeps? They should have been saying Friday, like my kids say before Christmas, how many sleeps? How many sleeps? They should have had one of those little things like we got a Santa Claus up on our mantle with the little blocks in it. And every day we change them. And I tell you what, you only need one block with three sides. It's three today. Oh, my goodness. It's two tomorrow. They should have had a Facebook, social media countdown. Like when a new album is going to release. I'm telling you, every person that knew Jesus that were a brethren should not have been ignorant about what was going to happen that day. Not only were they not running to the tomb to celebrate him doing what he said he's going to do, they were actually going to help maintain his current state. Let's go come into agreement with that. I know this is crazy. I'm like villainizing the three ladies. I'm not, I'm not meaning to do that. Again, they're not stupid. They were just ignorant. Jesus said, it's expedient for you that I go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. See, I believe Just like he said about John, John was the greatest that's ever lived, but even the least in the kingdom is greater than John. So I believe that all of us are living in a deeper time of revelation because we have the Holy Spirit that came to empower us and bring to our mind. What does the Holy Spirit do? He will remind you of everything I've said to you, Jesus said. So they didn't have the Holy Spirit, baby, reminding them. Hey, it's day number three. Anybody ever had the Holy Spirit do you a little reminder? We need to quit hitting snooze on the Holy Spirit reminders. When the Holy Spirit says, hey, today is the day to be free. Uh, How about tomorrow? Tomorrow's looking better for me. We look like Pharaoh with the frogs. When Moses went to Pharaoh and said, hey, we can get rid of these frogs if you'll let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, okay, we'll get rid of the frogs tomorrow. I mean, there were frogs in their ovens, frogs in their everywhere, frogs in their beds, frogs. Who in their right mind would say tomorrow? Who in their right mind hits snooze on the Holy Spirit alarm? So they go to the tomb. They should have been running there, excited, to see if it's happened yet. He said day three, but he didn't say what time. I wonder if it's happened this morning. I wonder if it's going to happen at noon. I wonder if it's going to, let's just go there and wait. Let's go there and maybe we can see it take place. But just from the story, it not only doesn't appear that anyone had any thoughts about that, But what is the angel's response? What is heaven's response always? To us? To them? Does heaven ever show confusion? Does does heaven ever show a lack of agreement? Do the angels ever have a worry or a concern about whether or not they were going to go down there on the third day and take care of business. There was God up in heaven being like, I only got three days to make this happen. How are we going to do this? You see Jesus' frustration in his life at times with the disciples, right? Guys, seriously. Seriously, we just fed 5,000 people. (laughs) <laughs> with five loaves and two fish, and there's some water in the boat, and y'all are freaking out, right? He's like, "How much longer must I be with you before you guys start get picking up what I'm putting down?" And so I just love this response. I mean, I just read it fresh this week. I just saw the angels. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they're they're just kind of looking at people that are ignorant, that, that, that are a little bit, you know, his ways are higher than ours. And, and they, they always have to, I think, show a little restraint, right? I mean, can you imagine how much restraint they had to show when they came to get Jesus in the garden? And Peter cuts off one of the soldiers' ears, and he said, don't you know I could call down a legion of, if at one moment I wanted to break agreement with heaven about what we're going to do here. Everything would change. But we're in 100% agreement. We've been in 100% agreement from the beginning of time. This has been a plan. Not only are we going to do it, we're going to do it exactly the way we've always planned to do it so that it proves every prophetic word that's ever been uttered about how it's going to take place. See, Jesus isn't about doing stuff. He's about doing it exactly the way he said he's going to do it. I mean, he—he, you know, we talk about trust. I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to trust people. Some people have lied. Sometimes people don't lie. Sometimes people just fudge. You know what I mean? Sometimes... (laughs) People technically do what they said they were going to do, but we all know it was implied they were going to do it slightly different than what they ended up doing. Isn't that the most frustrating time? Because you can't really say you lied. You can't really say, why didn't you do it? You just have to chalk it up to, I guess it was a miscommunication. But it wasn't really a miscommunication, right? It was a deception. But Jesus... He makes, there, there is no room. He, you know, when, when, when he says people are telling lies, he said, you're of your father, the devil. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. He cannot lie. The truth never contradicts itself. So if Jesus said it, and he is the truth, then it is the truth. I just love that Jesus is the truth, and he also is love, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God and was with God, and we know in 1 John 4 and 8 that God is love, so Jesus is love, so Jesus is love and truth walking around with skin on, so there's never going to be a contradiction in his life. And there's never going to be a contradiction between him and the heart of the Father because he is love, he is the Father, and he is manifest in the flesh. So don't be ignorant about that. Let's stop being ignorant about how the kingdom works. Let's stop letting vain arguments and religion confuse us about the pure and simple devotion to the way, the truth, and the life. So we see the angels. <laughs> and I just, they probably looked at each other when they said, where is he? They were, what were they? The, the ladies stunned and perplexed. <laughs> Guys, if we could ever, as the brethren and the sister could stop being the people who are surprised and perplexed when Jesus does what he says he's going to do. What a novel idea. People that are believers... (laughs) We're believers in Jesus, the truth, and when the truth happens, like the truth said it was going to happen, we're stunned and perplexed. Stunned and perplexed. They're stunned and perplexed and terrified. And the angels, and they, where is he? The angels have to look at each other and be like, did Jesus not tell them? I thought Jesus was going to tell them. He didn't tell them. Or did he tell them? And they're just ignorant. They don't know. I mean no disrespect, especially to Mary, the mother of Jesus. But in Alabama, bless her heart means... Bless their heart means stupid idiot. That's Pastor Tom' uh, version says that. Bless your heart means stupid idiot. Like here's an example in Alabama East. Little Johnny ran right out in front of that truck. Bless his heart. You know, he smacked himself right in the face with that baseball bat. Bless his heart. Those angels had to want to say, bless their heart. Why? Okay, let me understand this, okay? The angels are like, and I love the little sarcasm that we see in the kingdom. I don't know. I just love that maybe there's some sarcasm in the kingdom. And so the angels ask them a question. They answer a question with a question. I've been known to do that. Where's Jesus? Um... Why are you looking for Jesus here? This is a graveyard. <laughs> did you not know these were the Lord's chips? Did you not know? <laughs> little Nacho Libre reference. But I could just say, did you Did you not know? <laughs> did you tell them? <laughs> I see the angels talking to you. Did you tell them that you were going to raise on the third day? They come here looking for you. (laughs) What is wrong with these people? Seriously, though, like, I mean, this is the plan from the beginning. I mean, it's like second nature, the truth. Second nature, that's terrible. It is the nature. (laughs) It is the glory of the kingdom, the essence and the reputation of the kingdom. It's true. There's this major disconnect from our Father and us when we get enlightened with philosophies that help us better understand the nature of the Father, that incorporate worldly systems. And we find some way to calculate and formulate from our worldly systems who he is. And then somehow we get to this ignorant place of mourning at death and rejoicing at birth. Do y'all know he said we should mourn at birth and rejoice at death? Let that change your perspective if you've had a miscarriage. They did not have to live in this world. They got to skip this nasty place and go straight to continue their existence with him. He did not send them on this assignment. He said, you know what? favored one, you don't have to go. You can stay with me. And your little baby was, I know we want to think they love us more than anything, but I can just see them with with, with the father like, do I have to go? No, this is perfect. Don't send me. Pick them. And he says, he's just love and mercy. He says, you stay with me. And when somebody's born, it's like, bless their heart. The other bless their heart. Not the stupid idiot bless their heart. And when we die, it's like, What? (laughs) I'm done? Yes! I'm going home. Check you later. Woo! Peace out. He gone. But it's hard. It's hard for us to wrap our brain around it. But he said, I would that you not be ignorant about that. Specifically in 1 Thessalonians 4. Don't be ignorant about this. Because if you're ignorant about it, you're going to mourn as those without hope. But if you're enlightened about it, and if you are learned about it, and if you know my ways about it, then you can see it differently. Don't be ignorant. Why would you... Why would... Why would you look for the living among the dead? Like, would he just hang out here? And then verse 8. Wait, number 7. Verse 7. The Son of Man is destined to be handed over to sinful men to be nailed to a cross, and on the third day he will rise again. No, I'm sorry. Verse 6. Have you forgotten what he said? Why, Why are you looking for him here? They must have forgot. He forgot. You see, I'm talking to you like, The only possible explanation for you being here today, stunned and perplexed, is that you forgot. Yeah. Uh, there's no other reasonable. I mean, like, you're looking for living in the dead that's, like, insane. I mean, you either, you must have just forgot. So, let me give you a little refresher. Have you forgotten what he said while he was still in Galilee? Verse 7, the son of man is destined to be, you know, da, 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 da. You're like, you can just see him like, son of man, destined, you remember, die, three days, rise, this little abbreviated yep. version here, you know what I mean? You got that? You remember that? Okay, just catching you up to where we are Today, today's that day, he gone, I'm here to let you know. Why are you scared? Verse 8. Boom! (laughs) All at once, they remembered his words. Thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God, for letting them remember your words. What if they never remembered? Sure, they'd still be like, to this day, where'd he go? What happened here? (laughs) All at once they remembered. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had seen and heard when the disciples heard the testimony of the woman. It made no sense. And they were unable to believe what they heard. And this don't make any sense. You mean... It's the third day, and Jesus said he's going to raise on the dead, and he's not there. That makes no sense. It doesn't make sense because they're thinking through a whole other perspective than the right one. Ignorance. I don't remember the exact verse. It's in 1 Corinthians. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. 4 and 4. God, this age, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Well, they're unbelievers? Well, yeah, they couldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody can't believe anything, it's because their mind's have been blinded. Because yeah. he's never too good to be true. Yeah. If he had never said it before, yet he was gone in three days, they should still have been able to believe. Because mm-hmm. the angel said it. But he did say it. It's never too good. To be true. And so it made no sense to them. It didn't even make sense. They couldn't even comprehend it. You know, we 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 condemn people for their lack of faith. It's not just about whether or not you have faith. They couldn't even, it made no sense to believe. Because they looked at it all wrong. They could not believe what they heard. But Peter jumped up and ran the entire distance to the tomb to see for himself. Stooping down, he looked inside. And discovered it was empty. There was only the linen sheet lying there, staggered by this. He walked away, wondering what it meant. I mean, every person that's walking with Jesus, day in and day out, Peter rebuked Jesus for telling him that he was going to have to die and raise again. That had to be a moment that Peter remembered. (laughs) He said, get behind me, Satan, because you're looking at man's ways and not the father's. Yet Peter is like Elmer Fudd, Which way did he go, and what does this mean? Like, come on. Come on. He had no idea. He wondered what it meant. Later that day, two of Jesus' disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them on their journey. (laughs) They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy like, what's what's going on? Why are we so sad and gloomy? They stopped, and one na- man named Cleopas answered, "Haven't you heard? Are you ignorant? <laughs> no <laughs> you are Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware are you the are you ignorant?" Do you not get it? We're so afraid of being called the ones that don't get it. So we strive to be astute in the way of the world. We try to prove ourselves in the way that they do things, in the way that they think. We don't want to be the ignorant one. We don't want to be the foolish one. We don't want to be characterized or stereotypically put in this category of the ignorant people. So we try to blend in and fit in and excel in the ways of the world. But I want to be like Christ. I want to be the one that everybody says, dude, are you dull? Do you not get it? Are you the only person in Knoxville that doesn't get what's going on right now? You seem to have a different perspective on this disastrous situation than the entire city. Yes, I want to be that person. I want to be the person who has a different perspective than everyone else in the city. And it wasn't Jesus that was ignorant. It was everyone else in the city that was ignorant. So to identify with Christ is to be the one that everyone thinks doesn't know what's going on. But you're actually the only one that knows what's going on. Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware? You're unaware. You're unaware. Man, Christians are so unaware. They're so last decade. Boomers are so unaware. We're woke. Boomers don't know. Beam, boomers been woke before he's born. <laughs> if anybody knows what's going on, they know what's going on. And it's time to learn. Ignorant is unlearned. It's time to learn. It's time to learn. Jesus asked, what things? Enlighten me. Help me understand, oh, brilliant ones about all things, Jesus. <clears throat> the things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. Can I do an accent? He was a mighty prophet. Oh, was he? I thought he was the son of God. Who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah. Some say a prophet. Some say John the Baptist. No, who do you say that I am? I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Till three days after you die, he was a great, mighty prophet who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful, and he had a... Great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. It's sad, really. We all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. But clearly, he wasn't. Because we're ignorant. Clearly, it can't be God because it didn't happen the way me and all my brilliant self thought it was going to happen. So now it's discredit. I throw it out with the trash and I walk around thinking about what might have been if God did what he said he was going to do. While the answer to every deficiency in the world was standing beside them, they are mourning what might have been. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the woman said, but nobody's seen him. Jesus said to them, Why are you so thick headed? Some of y'all got offended when I said ignorant. Huh? Get you some of that. Why are you so thick headed? John doesn't like it when I say moron. I don't know more, I don't even know what moron means, but that's the word I like to say when driving. I think it's a somewhat harmless word. But if you cut me off, I won't cuss you. I'll just say, moron? You know, I just, to me, that's just ignorant, maybe, you know? Do you not know that my truck is bigger than yours? I'm driving a 12 passenger van, and you think I can stop it on a dime? Why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? (laughs) Wasn't it necessary for Christ the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and then afterwards to enter into his glory? Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. It doesn't tell us all this, but he says, Let me let me learn y'all something. Let's go back. It says throughout all the scripture, when Jesus teaches all the scripture, I'm thinking it's 17 miles worth of scripture. 17-mile trip walking. Somebody real quick. How long is that? 10 mile, 10-minute 10 mile, maybe? 170 minutes? 10 minute, 15 minute mile, you know? Three hours of scripture, I got a feeling they got. He walked them through, started from the beginning, and explained the writings of Moses. (laughs) And all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. And I think every time he told another truth, he's probably looking at him like, did that do it? You know, I just gave you another hint. Get it now? <laughs> he's going to have his hands pierced. <laughs> his feet. You like my new sandals? He said he's going to have his fears. They're going to drive nails in his hands and feet. Guys, look at my sandals. They're cool. I just got a feeling, you know. He's just clearly teaching him a lesson, right? Goes through Moses, all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead. Well, it's nice spending time with you guys. Hope you learned something today. I'm going to move on. Try to find some less ignorant people. telling them he was going on to a distant place. They urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us, it will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village, joining them at the table for supper. He took bread and blessed it and broke it, then gave it to them. <clears throat> All at once, their eyes were open. Remember the ladies at the tomb, <laughs> right? All at once. what? All at once, their eyes were open and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from their eyes. it! Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? He unveiled for us Such profound revelation from the scriptures. Why didn't we get it? Why didn't we know? Why didn't we see? I gotta wrap up. I was gonna go to Luke chapter 5 and John 21 and John thirteen, John (laughs) fourteen. Oh, oh, that was open. I thought it was closed. That's why I just thought, no big deal. I'll leave it on the floor. It's open. It's wet up here. when jesus talks to peter um, john chapter 13 john chapter 13 jesus said uh, peter says i'll die for you and peter jesus says actually um, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. That's the last verse of John 13. What's beautiful is John chapter 14, he says, but don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you'll be also. Passion Translation says, Don't worry or surrender to your fear. For you believed in God, now trust and believe in me also. My Father's house is me dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. We know because of John uh later on in verse 21 i believe he says um where i am there you'll be also but also we're going to come and abide with you so we kind of see there that it's not just heaven that he's talking about preparing a mansion in but it's a place that same word i can't break all this down but that same word is opportunity an opening a purpose a plan it's more than a House. I know we love to talk about our mansion in heaven. But the place he went to secure for us is a life. It's a purpose. It's a destiny. It's a future and a hope that we can't afford to be ignorant about. When he's told you he's going to use you, when he's told you that who you are in your identity, and plans that he has for your life. And when he's whispered into you worth, and he's told you how valuable you are, you can't afford to use any other measurement and any other calculation or any other world system to corrupt that vision of who he says that you are. Because if you do, you'll find yourself lacking, and you'll find yourself unable to fulfill and to be what you were created to be, and you'll be living a purposeless life out of ignorance, and you then won't care if you live or die. And purposelessness will beget purposelessness and beget purposelessness and beget purposelessness. Do you know that? When you begin to not have purpose, you begin to fill your time with purposeless things and you get further and further away from purpose. But if you fill your life with purpose and if you focus on purpose, then purpose will beget purpose and beget purpose and beget purpose. But we can't be afford to be ignorant. Just like he said he's going to raise in three days. We can't be one of the ones who is stunned, amazed, and afraid. We have to be the ones that are expectant. The ones that are looking for the fulfillment of every day. The ones that are knowing and expecting his mercies to be new when my head comes off my pillow in the morning and I'm excited and I run to the tomb every day to see what's being resurrected in my life not ones that are spending our time anointing what's dead and mourning over what's lost and thinking about the good old days back when our life meant something. It's time to run to the tomb with expectation. It's time to walk with the Savior, embracing every morsel that comes from his lips. Not be one that is clueless about what's going on. He is such a loving father. I've said it before. If he died on the cross, I saw it like this this week. And I'm going to close with Peter from Luke. Oh, gosh, I just had it. Luke 5 and John 21. <clears throat> but I saw it this week. You know, our debt was canceled. Okay. So in the garden, we went in the negative. I know some of y'all are just so much more special people than me. And you probably never done this. But my little self has gone in the negative sometimes at the bank. <laughs> I know that's terrible, right? I should not do that, but I have, and I know our branch manager and we we text one another, and there's I'll text her some days and say, Is there any way you could um take off that thirty seven dollar fee? It's been. 23 hours since the last no, I'm just kidding. It's been, <laughs> they won't do it very often for me, but I'm like it's been this I mean, it's been I've been doing good I had to throw in a little something I paid all the bills and Jahan went and did her nails. I didn't she didn't even know we just I paid all the bills <laughs> Then we alternate John you call this week it's not that frequent, guys. But I have texted our branch manager. Could you get our account? <laughs> Could you take that negative off? So our debt was canceled. So we went in the negative. He died, canceled our debt. But where does that leave us? When your debt's canceled, what does that leave you? Zero. But when he rose, he was the first fruit. He made a first fruit offering into our life. And so those that are raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection, they get a deposit of purpose and future. But we can, I believe this, we can be ignorant brethren. We can accept the debt cancellation yes. without embracing the yes. deposit. Yes. And we can be a people with a zero balance that are looking forward to our mansion in heaven. And that's our, the resurrection. We're going to embrace the resurrection one day. Or we can be people that believe the place he secured for us is not just a mansion in heaven but it's a deposit every day with new mercy to walk it out and to see increase in our lives. Luke chapter 5 and John 21 we see Jesus the first time call Peter in Luke chapter 5 to be a disciple. He's fishing and he's fished all night and he hasn't caught anything and jesus is standing on the bank and he sees him he says hey cast your net on the other side of the boat and peter don't even know this guy at this point point. and he's like i've been fishing all night but what the heck i'll try it drops his net you know the story pulls in so many fish they had to call in their partners other boats to help them and the nets were breaking Wonderful story about what they did in Luke 5 and what they did in John 21. Some of the differences there are amazing. You'll read the story, you notice in John 21, no nets broke. In Luke 5, they did. I think there's insights there on how to do ministry in a way that keeps your net from breaking. Sometimes, I had a revelation this week with some of our staff, sometimes we're doing ministry in a way that causes nets to break and we're putting staff members and people in the places where the nets are breaking and their staff members are being stretched beyond their capabilities. And Brett, nets are holding fish, but staff are at the breaking point. That's a tale for another day. But in Luke chapter 5, he calls him for the first time. Peter obviously is astounded, bows down, I'm a sinner. Leave me. He's blown away by the power of Jesus. And then he fails him, denies him. But Jesus said, Hey, don't worry. And this is how Jesus gets us. He gets us personally. It's not just the cross for everybody, it's the cross and it's the resurrection and it's the coming to find you where you are. And it's the bringing everything you need personally to be everything He's called you to be and created you to be personally. So he comes in John 21, Peter goes back out fishing. Just a little side note. We love, again, in our ignorance, we like to condemn things that we don't understand. We like to curse things that God blesses and bless things that God curses. We like to curse prosperity. But Jesus gave Peter so many fish he couldn't even pull them in. Don't seem like he hates prosperity. We like to curse Peter for going out to work. We like to separate the secular and the spiritual. Peter went out to work. He forsook his call. He did something he enjoyed while doing his call, while waiting on the next step. Apparently, Jesus blessed what Peter was doing. So why do we curse it? Peter shouldn't have been fishing. Well, why don't we... What Jesus say? Hey, you shouldn't be fishing. You'll never catch another fish the rest of your life. I hate you, old fisher. He said, oh, man, you fishing again? You love that, don't you? Let's make it fun. No sense in fishing if you ain't going to enjoy it. Let's make it fun. make fun he didn't just go to G- Peter and say Peter you denied me three times but I died bow receive my debt cancellation i dub you free he said your debts canceled but that's not enough I want to make a deposit Let's actually go back and unpack those three times you denied me. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? He said, let's just don't stay at the zero, canceling it. Let's make a deposit of three declarations of your love for me. It's not okay that we wiped out the negative. Let's put something in the positive. Let's start this thing off on the right foot. And now, hey, you keep fishing, you enjoy it, but... Let's get back to the fishing for men, too. Feed my sheep. Let's go. His plan for us and his purpose for us and his place for us, he's passionate about. From the beginning of time, he's never changed his mind. He never changed his mind. He's never lied. He's always done what he said. He's fulfilled every promise. Never have I seen him lie. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken. Never have I seen him fall off his throne. Yet so many times we're still astounded, amazed, looking for him where he's not instead of walking with him where he is. I want to be so close to him that I never get caught trying to find him. Don't you? You never have to find him if you don't leave him. That's why I'd have been there waiting on him to get up. I want to say I would have been. But I know in my life I'm not waiting on him to get up sometimes. I know in my life I get distracted and I do my own thing. And I'm not looking for the resurrected Savior and where he wants to go that day. And then I come to myself sometimes, oh my gosh, it's like when you drive, anybody ever been driving and you arrive somewhere and you literally don't remember the last hour of the trip? That is so scary. But we all do that. I don't know how. That is weird. And that is bad. And we live life like that too much. Life is intentional. Life is what we get to do. Life is to be embraced and attacked and done with purpose. If we had to come, we get to do it with him. We get to do it the way he's laid out for us. And we get to be partakers of the place that he secured for us. And walk in purpose. So many times in the church we try to get people to stop doing purposeless things. It's impossible. It's impossible. Destructive behaviors are purposeless things that have been begotten from other purposeless things. And the only way to root those out is to fill our lives with purpose. We've got to instill identity and purpose, and it will drive out. Know who you are. Know what he says about you know what he thinks about you, and know that he has a plan and a purpose for you. And that will literally forcefully drive out purposelessness and replace it with purpose. Let's not be ignorant. He's not too good to be true. And tomorrow, what tomorrow holds for you, tomorrow, this afternoon... It's not too good to be true if you'll not be ignorant. But you'll be open and prepared and ready to receive and walk in all that he has for us. Lord, we love you. It's purposeless to have an open heaven over closed people. So Lord, we thank you for an open heaven. And we thank you that we're not closed out of ignorance. But today we open ourselves to receive and to learn like these disciples on the road to Emmaus. Don't our hearts burn passionately within us right now. To be with you, to walk with you, to accomplish with you, to to, to take ground with you, to, to live with you, to fellowship with you, to enjoy victories with you, to be comforted in loss with you. We embrace it. We charge into it. In Jesus' name, so be it, so be it. We love you at home. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.